Welcome to Practical Christian Living. If we're going to be judged by what we say, and if God judges us by what we say, when we start talking about something, I can't believe they do that, and they're doing that. That ought to be one of the scariest things to us because God would say, your very words are condemning you. Lord, let us be gracious in our speech. Let us be kind. Let us cut out slander and malice and maliciousness. It is a small part of our body, but it holds so much power. Our tongue can cause much destruction, but it can also be the source of much good and praise. Today on Practical Christian Living, we move ahead to James chapter 3 and important reminders that we need to choose carefully the words we speak. With more on taming our tongue, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We, uh, we don't come into this place so we can hear what people have to say. We want to know what you have to say. We want your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And we want to know what your word says so that we can change how we live. We don't want to be like the man that looks into the mirror of the word of God and walks away and forgets what he looks like. But we want to have a heart of obedience, a heart of expectancy that by what we study here, you are going to move. We pray that you would do that today as you speak to us about the words that we say. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Warren Wearsby tells the story of a friend of his who was a pastor who had a gal in his church who was a notorious gossip. She had caused several situations that were really difficult for this pastor to be able to handle, and another one had arisen. She had repented on several occasions of her gossip and slander, malicious behavior, the desire just to destroy someone. And uh, he was dealing with another situation that had risen up, and she told him, I'm really sorry, I'm really convicted, I really want to change this about me, I really need to put my tongue on the altar. Out of frustration because this lady had been here before, she'd said the exact same things before to him and had not changed her behavior, the pastor said, there isn't an altar big enough for your time. <laughs> and the irony is that he ended up saying something that he regretted, talking about the tongue and her inability to control her tongue. That's what James is going to tell us. There's nobody that has complete and total control of what they say. And what we say can be used to build people up and do tremendous things. The smallest words can encourage someone. A few weeks ago on our east side on Saturday night, after Wednesday night and, and um, the 11.30 service on Sunday, I come down in the front and just meet people. We'll try to meet new people. And uh, I do that on Saturday night on the east campus. A few weeks ago, I go down, I'm talking with people and an older gentleman comes up and he's got a cane and he's older, really older. And he, he introduces himself to me and he says that he was a pastor of a particular Baptist church here in town for over 50 years and he's retired. And he said he had just met a couple people that go to the church so he wanted to come and, and just kind of experience what Calvary was really all about. And then before he left, he said, I just want you to know that that was a good Bible study. And I was so encouraged by that. He didn't say, that was the best message I've ever heard. He didn't, you know, slather on the, the flattery. He simply said, 
that was a good Bible study. And for someone that was as straightforward and straight shooting as I perceive him to be, because the first time I met him, it was extremely encouraging to me. I couldn't help but get a grin on my face and just say, thank you. That means a lot. Our words simply stated can encourage and can build up, but even more so, they can devastate and tear down. And the worst thing about our words is once they escape, you can't get them back as much as you try to get them back. Have you ever had those things go out of your mouth and you just right when you're saying them, you realize I shouldn't be saying this and immediately go, I'm sorry, I said that. Or wives, you say to your husband something or husband, you say to your wife something and you realize as soon as it gets out, I don't know if I'm going to be able to repair this. You can literally say things that can never be repaired. You can say things that can cause such a devastation that there is no way that you can go back and undo what is said. That's what James is talking about in this passage. He is obviously upset as he speaks to these early Jewish Christians. Remember, he's writing to Jewish Christians that have been dispersed from Jerusalem. There's a large group of Jewish people that got saved early on. And then there was the persecution under Saul, later on became the apostle Paul. And they were dispersed around the area. He's writing this letter to these dispersed Jewish Christians. And he is upset because they are saying things they shouldn't say. There's devastation that's taking place because they're not guarding their words. They're not bridling their tongue. And he is frustrated uh, by that. It has been said that people like dogs because they wag their tail more than their tongues. Maybe we can learn not to wag our tongues so much. Before we're done with this passage, he gets to the heart of it. He gets practical, which is shocking when it comes to James. By the way, that's sarcastic. The book of James and 1 Peter, which we'll study uh, next in the New Testament, are two of the most practical books that we find. So he not only identifies the problem, he gives us the solution to handling the problem. And he starts off by saying in verse 1 of chapter 3, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. That's in the continual. Let not many of you continue becoming teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. He introduces the topic of what we say by letting us know that the tongue has a condemning quality. We are judged by God by what we say. Now, there's a reason for this. Because the Bible says that out of our heart, our mouth speaks. So what we say is a revelation of what's going on within our hearts. And what we say, God judges us by because that's the revelation of what's there. A few years ago, there was a pastor in a smaller church up in northern Arizona that had got caught looking at pornography. The elders at the church didn't know what to do. They didn't know, do we remove him? Do we put him through a restoration process? Do we bring in somebody for a while to teach for him while he's restored? Uh, do we do some discipline? They were just at a loss on how to handle it. They were seeking some advice, which is how I became aware of it. They were just seeking advice. What do we do? How do we handle this? They were heartbroken over the situation. They wanted to handle it properly. Well, while that was going on, his assistant pastor 
got caught by him looking at pornography. And he fired his assistant pastor. So when the board heard that, they fired him. His own words condemned him. If he didn't have any kind of, of mercy or compassion on him, they didn't have any kind of mercy or compassion upon him. And we are judged the same way. Now that ought to frighten us tremendously. If we're going to be judged by what we say, and if God judges us by what we say, when we get start talking about something, I can't believe they do that, and they're doing that. That ought to be one of the scariest things to us because God would say, your very words are condemning you. Lord, let us be gracious in our speech. Let us be kind. Let us cut out slander and malice and maliciousness and just let us lift up one another because that's what we want. We want God to be kind and merciful and gracious to us. We want to be kind to others. Now, in introducing this ability for our words to condemn, he says a true statement that, hey, if you aren't called to be a teacher, and you shouldn't just make it happen. There are those that are attracted to the pastorate, especially the role of a teaching pastor, because they see it as a position of fame. You're up in front of people. You, you are seen by people. I had been given a teaching by Charles Swindoll when I was a very young pastor, 25 years old. I listened to this teaching by him. A couple of things that he said in that teaching have stuck with me over the years. One of the things that he said was that you've got to have a duck's back. You guys have heard me say that before, right? Because if you're up in front of people and you're teaching, people are going to say cruel things. You got to be willing to take those cruel things and have like, you know, a steel exterior. Bing, bing. Just let those things bounce off. But another thing that he said was, if you can do anything else besides teach, then do it. Because it's glorious. He said, there's no better position there's nothing better you can do than to take the word of God and feed God's people. But it is also incredibly challenging and be, can be incredibly brutal and can be incredibly hard. And now after <laughs> many years, I find that those words are, are so true. There have been such difficult, hard times that I really appreciate that I know that I'm supposed to be here. I know I'm right where God wants me to be. One of the only prophecies that I ever had given about my life, I had a business. It was before I had a business in Albuquerque. And I was told by someone, listen, I believe God gave me a word for you that you're going to have a business for a while and then God's going to lead you to a town and you're going to pastor. That eventually happened. But I didn't do that because of that prophecy. Later on, I remembered it. It was interesting. During a difficult time, I remembered that prophecy. As if God was saying, I told you before, you're supposed to be here. Now buck it up, mister. Pull it together. Quit thinking about quitting. <laughs> Which I think is why God gives us certain prophecies in our lives so that we'll continue on when we're supposed to. The desire for many to be teachers. I heard John MacArthur say something one time that there are too many churches and too many teachers. But he said there's not enough quality churches and not enough quality teachers. And after thinking that through, because I wasn't sure when I heard him say it whether or not I agreed with it, but after thinking it through, I believe it is true. I, I think there are too many teachers and not enough good quality teachers. If God has given you the gift of teaching and God has called you to pastor, then go out and do it. 
do it by the power of the spirit and do it with fervency but if God hasn't given that to you then you will be far happier doing other things in verse 2 he says for we all stumble in many things now when he says that we incur a stricter judgment somebody told me one time that a pastor has a higher pole that he has to get over that the average Christian has to get over this high but but a pastor has to go this high I disagree with that I think you and I stand shoulder to shoulder in our faith and if anything I am like I'm like a coach trying to coach you to go out and play the game of Christianity I don't like that analogy by the way I didn't like it as soon as I said it I wanted to get it back okay Christianity is not a game but you understand my analogy you're going out and you're in the midst of it and I'm trying to coach you or I'm like a blacksmith trying to get your sword sharp or I'm like someone trying to train you to go out and get involved in battle we all got to make it over it but here's the thing pastors have to make it over pastors have to be living the life they must lead the way first of all by example by leading that way we make it over and if we don't we will incur a stricter judgment that's a scary word those are scary words for me to read those ought to scare every pastor and everybody who's going into the pastorate you incur a stricter judgment when you take the word of God and you teach it God is going to be harder on me than he's going to be on someone who doesn't teach the word of God therefore we should not rush into it we should not flippantly rush into it we ought to consider the call that is on our lives and whether or not this is really what God wants and know that that stricter judgment is there because we all stumble in many things hey that's all of us we all stumble in many ways John put it this way in the book of 1st John if anybody says he has no sin he is a liar in other words you're lying right when you said you don't have any sin I heard a guy say that one time I was attending a church it was part of the holiness movement the guy said I haven't sinned in 12 years of course he broke it right there by lying he'd been lying the whole time right because we all stumble in many ways I wish that wasn't so if there's somebody here who feels like not me I'm such a spiritual mature individual I never stumble I don't stumble in any ways not less than many ways well then the Word of God isn't true either you stumble in many ways or the Word of God is is not true and since the word of God is true we all stumble in many ways so that's for all of us to consider these things all of us say okay because we stumble in many ways he then goes on to say in verse 2 for we all stumble in many ways if anyone does not stumble in word he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body now this tells us a couple of things number one one of the last things to finally come into line as the sanctification process is taking place God is sanctifying you he's making you more and more holy you are sanctified in position with Christ immediately when you're born again you're made righteous and you're sanctified you're set apart you have eternity but you are being sanctified by his word he's working out righteousness in your life he gives you a position of righteousness and he's working righteousness out within your life as time goes on one of the last things to finally come around is the tongue because if a man has his tongue bridled he's a perfect man that means you've gotten all your conduct taken care of and now your tongue is controlled also that if you want to control your conduct which we're going to get to by verse 13 if you're going to control your conduct then you do that by controlling your tongue 
In other words, if you take this serious enough to say today, you know what, I really need to consider the things that I say. I need to consider how I talk. I need to consider whether or not I'm gossiping. I need to consider whether or not I'm truthful about people or malicious, judgmental towards individuals, if corrupt communication is leaving my mouth or if I'm encouraging and edifying to people. If you do that, then that's a way for you to correct your conduct by saying, I want to make sure. If you get your speech in line, then you're not going to fall off on your conduct because your conduct is directed by your speech. We could go back to your thought life as well to one step before that. If you can bring your thought life together and then control what you say and then control your conduct, then you're able to live a life that is worthy of what God has called us. So this is for everybody because everybody stumbles in many ways and everybody says things that they shouldn't say. So what's about to be shared is for us all. He's able to bridle his whole body if he doesn't stumble in what he says. I got to say also, the Bible says with many words as much sin. The more you talk, the more sin you're likely to have with your words. When I drive home after the last service on Sunday, I do five studies on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And then I get on the freeway and I head home. I stop by Whataburger on the way home and then I go collapse in my recliner. That's my Sunday afternoon until I finally recover sometime in early afternoon and I'm able to get up and go do something. But while I'm driving down the freeway, I cannot tell you how many times I'm beating myself on the head saying, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And the crazy thing is I won't say it in every service. But all of a sudden in one service, a lot of times the last service, I seem to let my guard down. This is the last service and end up saying something I regret later on. If you can not stumble in your words, you're a perfect man able to bridle your whole body. He then goes on in verse 3. Now, the first thing he did was tell us that, that our words have the power to condemn and all of us have a problem with our tongue, so that's a scary place for us to be, right? Since we all stumble with our tongue and words have that power to condemn, we're in a scary place. And then verse 3, Indeed, we put bits into horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Three analogies for our tongue. Number one, a bridle. It's just tiny. And you guys ride horses? You put it on that horse's tongue, which is interesting, right? Put it on that tongue. Then you can steer that horse at least that's the idea, wherever you want that horse to go. The ship, rarely do you get by a ship that you aren't impressed by the size of ships, but there's a small rudder that steers that ship wherever it goes. And finally, the tongue is like a fire that when it kindles it, the fire can spread. He doesn't say the tongue is like a glass of water. When you pour out a glass of water, boom, it just pours out. Doesn't keep going until everything's flooded. But a fire, it's like a spark. It can start and burn down a forest. It can start and burn down a town. Your words are like a little spark that can start and burn down someone's life. Now, if the first thing he says to us is that our words have the power to condemn us and we all gotta be careful because we all stumble in these things, the second thing that he tells us is that our tongues direct our lives. Our tongues are small. I, I read a commentary years ago on this passage that said that the tongue weighed two pounds. 
I looked it up today. That's an urban myth. And you think about it. I mean, think of a two-pound fish. Those of you guys that are fishermen, think about when you catch a two-pound fish. That's not your tongue. It's a two-pound fish, right? So it really wasn't right. The tongue is about two and a half ounces. Maybe it was a typo in that book. I don't know. That's the male tongue. The man's tongue is about two and a half ounces. The woman's tongue is two ounces. And yet it has this potential to affect your life in catastrophic ways. And it has the potential to affect your life in great ways. The words that you say to your children, the words that you say to your husband, the words that you say to your wife can affect them in either a devastating way or in a great way. So even though the tongue is small, even though to us it feels like it's just a small thing, it's just what we say, it's just our words, they're only words. Well, your words will go on forever. Your words, once they're said, are out there, literally, because the words are like vibrations. And it's said that they go on into space to infinity. And if you had an instrument, you could go out in space, if you could go to the right place, and you could pick up the words that people spoke a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. Here's the thing, though. God has that instrument. He's able to pick up every word that we have said. So it's important for us to say when words go out that are wrong, when we say something that's destructive, to say to people, I'm sorry. To quickly turn, to quickly repent, to turn from those destructive things because they can set a whole forest on fire. Just little words. How destructive are they? Well, it's like a bridle in a horse's mouth. It's like a rudder on a ship. It's like a spark that starts a fire. Now, in these next two verses, we get the, the idea that James is not happy with the things that people are saying in the early church. It's funny. We often go back to the early church and say, we want to be like the early church. We want to be the first century church. Calvary first century church. That's a good name, right? We want to be like them. But James is really upset. And that becomes evident by this. James is upset at some of the things that they're saying. Look at what he says in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. He says it's not just like a fire. It is a fire. A world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. A, the word, we get our word cosmos from this word cosmos. It is a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Not only is the tongue a world of iniquity, but it sets on fire nature. It can set on fire everything. And it is set on fire by hell. James, why don't you tell us how you really feel about the tongue? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he could become any stauncher about what we are saying and how that is affecting people. He goes on to say then in verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You ever seen a bear stand on his head in a circus? You ever seen somebody put their head in the mouth of a lion? You ever seen somebody put their head in the mouth of an alligator? You could call that person stupid, I think. You ever see um, chimpanzees riding bicycles or, or whatever they do? All these animals have been tamed. But the tongue, look at verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. That means your tongue is like, your tongue is like a wild beast that can't be tamed. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.